and welcome to this episode of Diabetes Dialogue. I'm Natalie Wisher, the CEO of the National Association of Diabetes Centres, NADC. Diabetes Dialogue is a podcast for healthcare professionals across Australia. We have presentations from leading experts worldwide, and it's our hope that this podcast series inspires you to provide optimal care for people living with diabetes. And now, let's welcome today's topic and expert speaker. Sarah Bartholomews will present on how to legally protect your medical practice. Sarah is the founder and principal of You Legal, an award-winning commercial law firm. You Legal specialises in assisting doctors with legal protection for their practice, patients and profits. She has over 15 years of experience in law, focusing on corporate and commercial law. Sarah is dedicated to helping practice managers and owners reduce risks and enhance their business potential. Um, I'm coming at you from Ghana land. I'm in Adelaide and I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. We're going to talk about five simple steps to legally protect your medical practice today. And I um, am a previous sufferer of gestational diabetes with both my pregnancies. So very aware of what is likely to come in my future as well um, as somebody who is clearly predisposed to having diabetes. So um, thank you for all that you do. Uh, You'd be disappointed if you had a session with a lawyer and they didn't start with a disclaimer. So I'm going to say straight up that this presentation is for general guidance only and legal advice should be taken in relation to specific issues and taking action in relation, in relation to what I say today. Who is this session for? I'm hoping that all of you fall within this. Any health professional who's committed to excellence and wants to grow or work in a thriving practice. So I've got 30 minutes or so to go through this with you and then we're going to have 15 minutes for questions. But in the next 30 minutes, you're going to learn about the essential legal documents for your practice that will allow you to focus on what matters most for you, taking care of patience. So my promise to you is that by the end of the session, you will have a step-by-step -step strategy to ensure that the practice you work in or own has a stable foundation to grow. Do you ever feel like there's no way to protect yourself and your practice without losing your mind? Some questions that Ivan and I were going through earlier today, um, well, hopefully you'll have an opportunity to ask and a lot of those losing your mind things at the end of this session, I'm hoping won't exist anymore, that I can allay your fears in some respects. Who am I? Ivan did a great, a great um, intro, but I come from a medical family. That's the reason I'm very passionate about working with medical practices and, and health businesses because my cousins, aunts, uncles, they're all doctors or nurses or dentists or allied health professionals. Um, so 
I'm a bit of a black sheep, I suppose, in that respect. I also, one of my books is called Growing a Medical Practice from Frustration to a High Performance Business. And um, that's available on our website. It's been a great journey to support medical practices in growing, not only um, because they so deeply understand the clinical governance side, but the legal governance side can be a bit new to new practice owners. All right, so I'm going to talk about what I call the five-step compliance protocol so that breaking it down hopefully into five steps makes it a little bit more um, easy to understand because there's a lot of information that's about to come at you. So I'll talk about the first three steps all in one go. And as Ivan said, I do like to break up your practice into three areas. So there's the practice area, the people area, and then the profit area, because nothing happens without profit. You can't employ people, uh, you can't serve who you want to serve unless there's a profit element to your practice. It's not about being greedy, it's just about making sure that you're a viable business. So for practice, what we are going to look at today is the way the practice is structured, doing a bit of a health check of the practice documents, and then looking more deeply at those practice documents to make sure that they're properly protecting your practice. So my big reason for being in practice is to try and protect businesses so that they don't end up having complaints against them or being sued. So having these documents in place is absolutely my version of being able to assist with a different form of insurance so that if something goes wrong, you know that you've got something that's going to back you up. The people side I see uh, as needing to be protected is the team, uh, the owners, and then also the patients. So there are, they seem to be the most important stakeholders when it comes to any health business. And then finally, profit, an opportunity to talk about how a practice might make money outside just fees, I suppose, is transacting with tenants. So looking at space, if that's available in your practice and making the most of it, if there's not room for additional practitioners, maybe renting out a room to uh, an allied health practitioner or somebody who works uh, in, uh, in a way that's going to support your practice and then sorting your systems, making sure you've got a regular review process for all of your legal documents. But I'm going to go through each document in detail now. So when your practice is set up, usually your accountant will suggest the way that that needs to be structured. And if you work as um, a service provider to a practice, it'll be the same for you. You might have a company you might have a trust so that those documents will exist. And then if you're in business with someone else, you might have a, an agreement that uh, is how you will work together. So it'll be a contract between the entity that is the practice and then the, the owners. So we call that different things depending on the structure. An equity holders agreement might be um, relevant if you've got a trust uh, and, and a company, a unit holders agreement, a shareholders agreement, or a partnership agreement. All very, very important because uh, if there's a dispute between owners and there isn't one of those agreements in place, then it can get very expensive and very messy to resolve. If there is one of those agreements and you've thought about how you want to work together, 
it's a lot simpler. People documents, you might have, depending on the structure of your practice, contractor agreements, services agreements, employment agreements, confidentiality agreements. Privacy policy is 100% required because you work in health. And so even though in the ordinary world, businesses don't need a privacy policy unless they've got a turnover of more than $3 million, all health businesses need it because they're automatically captured because of the sensitive information that they obtain. Um, a data breach protocol and mandatory notification uh, documents. We know that health practitioners uh, are reporting the largest number of data breaches out of any sector um, to so that knowing what to do if that happens to you can be a very big um, stress reliever. If you know who to turn to, the documents, you're ready to go. If you get some sort of cyber attack or someone leaves something somewhere, a client folder on the car, on the seat of their car and their car gets broken into, which we have had happen to our, our clients before. Consent forms are, are very important and we often work through those with practices to make sure that they say what they need to say to protect everyone involved um, as an individual, having your will in place um, and a testamentary trust, depending on how you're structuring your practice and your affairs um, can, can help protect you personally and the people that you love. And then um, those equity holder agreement, shareholders agreement, unit holders agreement and partnership agreement, they fall under people documents as well because they protect the people um, that work, that own the practice and they're absolutely critical for the operation of the business. Then profit documents, your lease can be a profit document depending on how your, your business is owned. If you own the land, um, in a different entity maybe to the practice, then you lease the business from yourself, but in a different way. Uh, and that's important to have in place if the business ever was sold, you may still want to own the building and um, continue to receive that rent. A license to occupy would be in place where uh, you've got a tenant that's renting out a room, could be a massage therapist or someone um, that works uh, in the practice, but just uses the room and then uses the shared areas as well. So can can use the kitchen and bathrooms and reception area. Uh, an intellectual property license is sometimes needed. We've had clients who are developing unique intellectual property in their business and they want to be able to license that to other people or if the if one of the practitioners is creating it they want to be able to create it and license it within the practice an advertising policy as we know um, health practices are very regulated and it's very difficult for them to be able to advertise uh, like a normal business there there's the APRA restrictions on that so having um, an advertising policy can help particularly if you're going to um, be using an agency. You want them to be aware of the restrictions that you're under uh, and working within your own brand as well. Telehealth policy, we've seen a lot more telehealth come in the last two years and, and having a policy on how that's going to work, particularly with the cyber issues that have been experienced by practices and making sure that everyone's on the same page about how telehealth 
can occur. Confidentiality is a big one, of course, if you're um, running telehealth from your home and you've got children uh, or other family members there that can overhear your consults, you might want to have a think about how to structure that, but having it in policy, if you're a practice owner, can, can help protect you. Social media policy, that can be for your team as well as um, for an agency you might engage so that your clinic is, is looking popular on social media, which can be important for some clinics, um, particularly for their growth. Insurance policy review, we see a lot of practices paying a lot of money for insurance that maybe isn't needed. So having a review to make sure that you have the right insurance in place and you're not overlapping in your insurance. And then an annual review process to make sure that you're keeping up to date with all of the changes in the law and that you're not going to fall behind or get an audit that you don't expect because you haven't been thinking about this annual review opportunity. So step four, we, we know that in the diabetes space, there's a lot of elaboration. So I've created step four as embrace e-consults because I think a lot of people have traditionally felt a fair bit of fear around um, consulting online and also through collaboration where your responsibility ends and the next um, party's responsibility starts. So privacy and cybersecurity, um, as I mentioned earlier, you definitely need a privacy policy on your website with your website terms and conditions, make it available for your patients so it's easy to see. And if you're using a third party booking app like Clinico or Hotdoc, you will want to be knowing that your privacy policy works in association with theirs because the reality of the experience of a patient is they come onto your website and they book through a, a website that's not yours if you've got Hotdoc or Clinico available there. Um, and so you need to make sure that you've thought about that and you've got a privacy policy in place that means that really you, what you're doing is you're giving your patient information to a third party before it comes to you. And so thinking about that is important. Cybersecurity is a huge area for risk, as I mentioned, for all health professionals and all businesses at the moment. Um, we've seen the cyber attacks increase significantly since COVID-19 started. Uh, and so thinking about that in terms of what insurance you need and having a review done to make sure that there's no holes in your current process could be uh, a, a great idea to to have you give you that peace of mind. What technology are you using? Are you getting alerts that you haven't updated your um, security for your um, software on your laptops and, and that needs to be done? Uh, are you using Zoom consults? Are you using phone consults? Thinking about what the best technology is for the way that you practice do you need to see people in person uh, or can you leverage technology in your business? Risk management. So thinking about um, all of these new things that you might be introducing or have introduced over the last two years and uh, where your 
um, risk might lie. It might have changed. I was sharing with Ivan earlier that I had an accident uh, two weeks ago while I was doing yoga at home, which usually I would have done um, in the studio. And the environment around me probably wasn't safe enough to be doing what I was doing. Um, and so I have reached out to them also running, they also run an allied health business and just said, you know, you might want to add this to your risk register if it's not there. Uh, Medicare, if that applies to your practice, um, it's supporting telehealth. It's a constantly changing world though. So keeping on top of all of the changes uh, that you can for Medicare to make sure that you can bill appropriately and make sure you're billing properly. We see lots of healthcare professionals that work with Medicare undercharging um, all the time. And, you know, you've worked long and hard to get to where you are to be a professional and you deserve to be compensated. And, and to do that, you need to understand Medicare and the NBS. OHS, so e consults do bring with them different OHS issues, particularly if you've got staff that are working from home. For example, you might have somebody who has COVID and they can still conduct e consults from home, so that and they're feeling well because they're vaccinated. So having thought about the occupational health and safety issues having people working at home hopefully having a re remote work policy in place and having um the understanding of your obligations for when people are working at home so we did have a case um once where somebody had fallen down the stairs while they were on a work call because they had um Lego on the stairs or like kids toys on the stairs and they were wearing socks and that was found to be a work cover matter. So making sure that you're clear with your staff about how working from home goes and um, being aware that additional risks really do exist um, from uh, creating workplaces at home, even though it is has been wonderful for, for many people. Um, paperwork and planning, so thinking about what paperwork you might need to put in place with this new world that we're in uh, and that checking your existing paperwork to make sure that it's up to date as well. The most important things to think about for both um, both e-consults and collaboration and probably what I should have added in here is confidentiality as well as privacy and consent. And I know you've done a lot of learning about that over the last two years, but privacy, consent and confidentiality are absolutely the top three things that you need to think about. I often see um, in the practice manager Facebook groups that I'm in, there are people that receive letters about patients that don't even go to their um, to their particular practice. So that's a breach of confidentiality. I've got um, a friend who's a doctor who, whose name is Dr. C. Lim, and she regularly gets results for patients that aren't hers as well. So really trying to avoid those sorts of issues in your practice uh, as much as possible by thinking about them every day. It's what we think about and do every day, every week, every month, and, and that's going to um, help us win in our professions. 
Step five is to leverage an expert. Using an expert brings new ideas, best practice, and accountability. If you're working with an expert, whether it's your accountant, whether it's a lawyer, whether it's an insurance broker, you have to get back to them. <laughs> and um, if you've just got it on your to-do list, it doesn't always get done. Um, so today I promised that you would have a step-by-step -step strategy to ensure your practice has a stable foundation to grow. We've got um, an opportunity if you do want to talk to one of my team for free um, to speak to Tiffany, our Chief Heart Officer. Um, we might circulate the um, her link. Um, I'm not sure if we can do that in the um, in the chat now, but she just absolutely loves talking to uh, to practice managers and owners and all health practitioners. She is an absolute gem and uh, loves hearing what your challenges are and what you're up to. If you want to ask, we have a, a Facebook group. It's free to join. It's called You Legal for Doctors. There's a couple of questions that you ask on the way in, but we talk about these things all the time. So you're very welcome to join uh, and keep up to date with all of these issues that are constantly changing. I think having a focus on protecting your practice, it will never be a waste of your time or money. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Diabetes Dialogue podcast by the National Association of Diabetes Centres. For more insights and resources, visit our website at nadc.net.au. The NADC is here to support you and your team in providing excellence in diabetes care. Until next time, keep up the dialogue on diabetes.